uh, we started a new sermon series called Christ Our Culture. Christ Our Culture. Kind of speaks for itself, really, if you think about it. This is our second installment. I'm going to pray because uh, we all need the Holy Spirit to rest upon me, or this is going to be torturous. Amen. Father, we thank you uh, for this time. I give thanks for these people, and Lord, we need you, God, around the Word of God as we share and we open up the Scriptures. Lord, we need this to be just more than information, God. We need this to touch the heart, Lord, to mark us, Lord, in a very special way. And so, Lord, we trust, Lord, that you're going to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. And again, Lord, we, we, we invite the power of the Holy Spirit to, to come close, to open our ears, and, and Lord, most of all, soften our hearts. Lord, make them uh, soften, God, that we might receive your word with joy. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray. Amen. Last week, we talked about the negative influences that culture can have on us, and I shared an example of how I was deeply impacted by grunge music, probably dating myself a little bit. You're probably hearing me and you're like, what is grunge music? Well, I'm not going to get into the details. You'll have to go to last message to figure it out. Um, but we talked about how culture can sometimes pressure us to conform to its customs and beliefs and how this is contrary to how the gospel and how Christ disciples and influences us. We talked about how this differs. A Christian, uh, Christian faith excuse me, influences us. Um, in a way where it invites us, it actually welcomes us into imitating Christ. It doesn't coerce us. It doesn't, you know, bend our arms backward and force us. It, it invites us. It welcomes us. And the invitation is this. Come and imitate Christ, essentially. And we use different passages of the gospel in the New Testament to explain that. And um, we just kind of pointed out the differences between the two. Because, uh, as I said last week, it's my um, uh, opinion that discipleship is not just a Christian idea, meaning it's not just something that happens on Sunday mornings and in community groups. It happens all the time. Um, and uh, unbeknownst to maybe some of us here today, we are being influenced and discipled by culture all the time. And we need to be careful and watchful as people like Paul the Apostle, Jesus, and many others warned us to. And so I'm kind of sounding off that warning uh, this morning in hopes that uh, we will be more influenced by Christ than we are culture. Um, so we asked a question, which I said I asked myself quite frequently, almost uh, daily. And the question is this, who am I being discipled by or who am I being influenced by more? Christ or, or culture? I don't know if that's unhealthy. I, I, I kind of think it is, but yet uh, daily I do ask myself that question. I have to pull back and just uh, be honest before the Lord and really ask those uh, vulnerable questions and, and wait for the response from the Lord. And so I think it's a good um, practice uh, for many of us to get into. If you haven't practiced something like that, maybe you'd entertain the idea to do such. Uh, this Sunday, we're going to ask ourselves another question. And then as who determines or defines what is truth? Christ or culture, right? I mean, this is, I think, a good follow-up, right? <laughs> um, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but truth matters, does it not? And especially if you're a Christian here today, and I'm not assuming everyone is, but if you are, if you're a follower of Jesus, man, truth really matters. There's a lot riding on the truth, isn't there? There's a lot depending upon how much we know. And, and, and what we perceive to be true and what we perceive to be false. Um, I, I think about Jesus' words in, in John 8, 32, 
where he said, you will know the truth, speaking to his disciples, and the truth will set you free. How about that? How about that? That's a, that's a, 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 that's a kind of statement that will wake you up. It gets your attention. You're like, oh, because I don't know about you, but I, I desire freedom. And not just freedom as an American. That's not the type of freedom I think Jesus is talking about. Although I do appreciate that as well. I'm talking about really being free in my soul, you know, and having victory over some of the vices and addictions that I have. Man, I want that kind of free. And Jesus says, well, it comes by knowing the truth. And so the truth matters. But, you know, what we find out as Christians is truth isn't just kind of a... um, well, Jesus said also, we'll go there in the scriptures, John uh, 14, 6. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. I'm sure it will be on the overhead. But Jesus said this about himself. He declared this, that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, Jesus tells his audience that he, as sure as he is, the way to God, he is the only truth, <laughs> you know, He's pretty convinced about the fact nobody shares that with Jesus. There's not like a, a, a second person in line or some kind of competition going on. Jesus truly sees himself as the truth. So the truth isn't subjective. It's not based or influenced by our opinions or our feelings or our emotions. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And if you're a follower, um, you're to believe that. You're to, you're to accept that as being true. And so that is a bit... Um, offensive when you think about it, right? Because how in a culture that seems to have truths all around, you know, you know, just like, and, and, and some of these truths contradict one another. I mean, it's just crazy what goes on in our culture. How can we, as refined, progressive, intelligent people, right, um, just say that one person or one set of morals or principles or whatever teachings is ultimately the only truth? It just doesn't work, so it becomes offensive, doesn't it? I mean, I've been offended by it from time to time. But more than offensive, it's a bit confrontational. It's a bit confrontational. I want to get into why it's a bit confrontational. Is this okay? Okay, cool. Um, Let me illustrate this by uh, using uh, um, a relationship that I have that uh, that I usually use when I illustrate things. It's with my neighbors, okay? Um, <laughs> yeah, some of you are laughing because you know exactly where I'm going with this. And so for some, this will be a new story. Um, but I have a bit of a go. I've had a bit of a go with my neighbors. It hasn't been the best of relationships. Now, I'm not at all proud of that. Actually, I'm saddened by that. And, and, I, and I, listen, I'm not holding them 100% uh, responsible uh, for our, our tense relationship. I have done my own, you know, um, things to, to make that relationship tense and sparse. And I'm not proud of it, like I said, but, um, you know, I've had a hard time uh, as treating them not like enemies, but people that I'm to love. I've more seen them as my adversaries, like, I'm going to get you. You know, like, you blew leaves on my property. Like, I'm going to get you, all right? Now, if you don't own a house, when you do, you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about, especially around this time of the year. It's crazy. Um, but, but, but the truth is confrontational in this. It, it, it kind of um, causes me to question 
all my other allegiances to truth, to truths that I believe or I have accepted to be true. Those things are challenged because I can't just treat my enemies as, uh, I'm sorry, my neighbors as my enemies. Uh, Yeah, God is doing a work. I, I can't just land there and, and just say, this is the plan. They're, they're against us, therefore we are going to get them. The Bible, Christ, the gospel, invites me to love my neighbor. And it goes even beyond that. It goes into um, telling me that I'm to love my enemy as well. I, I, I'm to love those and pray for those who persecute me. And I'm to forgive those who wrong me. This is Matthew twelve thirty one, where Jesus says, love your neighbor. And in Matthew 5, 44, he says, love and pray for your enemies. And then in Matthew 6, 14 through 15, he says, um, forgive those who trespass against you. And so that's very confrontational, especially when the carnal kind of fleshy side of me doesn't want to do that, right? And so I'm kind of met, I'm kind of, I landed a crossroads, so to speak. And like, okay, what am I going to do? <laughs> you know, am I going to keep on fanning the flames of anger and hostility and property wars? Or, or am I going to love my neighbor? Am I going to love my enemy? Am I going to pray for them? And so it's confrontational in that respect. It doesn't just let you choose, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, you know it, it, I, I guess what I'll say is it, it causes you to make a choice. And that's, I'm already getting ahead of myself because that's my second point. It makes you, the truth is confrontational, sorry, um, or Jesus being the, the truth, this statement is confrontational because it means we have to make a decision on whose truth we're going to follow as believers. It doesn't just let you stay in that neutral ground, right? <laughs> Park somewhere in between, right? This opinion and that opinion, this truth or that truth. No, it, it, it calls you to make a decision. It almost, in some sense, and I wrestled with this, I think it goes more than just calls you to, it forces you to. It forces you to. Thank God it does. Take example, for example, excuse me, culture's definition of love, which is, by the way, everywhere. It's all over the place, if you think about it. Well, I looked at some articles this week and stumbled across um, an article that was titled, What is Love? It was um, a kind of a collection of several neuroscientists who kind of teamed together and, 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 and kind of, uh, you know, wrote out some, like, uh, 13 distinctions of what they believe love is and, and how do we know when we can find it. And I just pulled out five distinctions that I thought were interesting. interesting. Um, first, they said love is addictive. Okay. Like, I think about the time when I first met Bethany. Like, I can honestly say, you know, I wanted my life to always be, my time to be spent and my was always like thinking about her and our future and everything, so I get it, but yet it doesn't necessarily reflect what biblical love is, does it? One of the other distinctions they made was that love is obsessive. God help us, but it is, I'm sure, true to many, and there's almost a sense of, like, even within my own heart as a Christian for now 20-something years, that I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I can see how they would draw or make that distinction or, or, or kind of call that to be true, but yet when you hear love is obsessive and you get the breakdown of what they mean by that, you find out, no, that's not necessarily the way biblical love expresses itself 
or explains itself. They said, love is reckless. Well, okay, I'll draw my line there. Although I've been pretty reckless in my 14 years of trying to get Bethany to marry me. It's a long story. I'm not going to fill you in with the details. I could take up most of the service doing it. But um, yeah, I could, I, I, I could say I got reckless, but that doesn't mean that's what love is. They said, love makes you emotionally unavailable. And there, and to top it all off, they said love and lust can happen at the same time. Okay, yeah, get it. And then they went on to say it is. Uh, uh, they interestingly enough, they concluded it, 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 that love and lust could actually. You, you could. I'm, I'm going to try to make this make sense because when I told Bethany about this article, I kind of confused her. But they were saying how. You can love somebody but not really desire them, I guess, or be attracted to them in a sexual way. And equally to that, you could be attracted to somebody in a sexual way but not love them. And that would still be kind of classified or, um, yeah, classified as being love. And, and I, I don't get that. I mean, I get how it works. I've been there. I've been in the throes of lust and love, and I, I get how it all works. But something still seems quite off. And so it's my opinion that this kind of definition, this distinction of love is quite distorted and destructive and it's contradictory to the Bible's definition of love. Let's uh, remind ourselves of that definition, could we? Briefly in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, Paul the apostle says this, love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable uh, or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So you, you take just this one article and then you put it up against 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 7, and well, friends, you got a bit of a problem in your hand, right? And as a believer, you're, you're faced with making a decision. All right, what is my definition? How do I determine what love is? Is it what culture? And this is just one of the many examples, but we, we have to, as believers, fall on one side or the other. Again, there is no middle ground. And so Jesus saying that he is his truth is confrontational. Because it forces us to make a decision on what side we land on what truth is. And again, this is just an example. So recap, Jesus being the truth is confrontational because it causes us to question all our other allegiances to truth that Jesus never taught nor established. And then two, it forces us to make a decision on what truth will accept and follow Christ our culture. And then I just want to land on my final third point of why Jesus being the truth is confrontational. It's because it is superior to all other truths that exist. Jesus has a monopoly on the truth. <laughs> Again, as I said earlier, there, when Jesus came out in John 14, verse 6, he was saying he is the only truth that exists under the sun. He wasn't sharing the stage with anyone when it came to that. Again, there was no like, oh, there's a runner up here. There's some kind of competition. Oh, Jesus won. No, 
Jesus concludes, he's, he, he makes that distinction that he is the truth. Jesus doesn't just say that he speaks the truth, although he does. He claims to be the embodiment of truth. And friends, for us who are believers, that changes the game. That really changes the game. They will know, I'm, I'm not sorry, they will, I'm gonna quote the wrong scripture, but they will know the truth and the what the truth will set them free. Have you ever um, bought a product? <laughs> okay, let me, let me phrase this differently. Have you ever bought uh, a, a kind of knockoff to some kind of product that was out there, some kind of, maybe it was a tool, I don't know, whatever, a computer, <laughs> fill in the gap, but it, that, that, that thing that you wanted was just a little too expensive, and you're like, oh, you know, there's this, thing, this knockoff version that, that's like uh, several dollars less. Anybody ever, uh, have you ever done that? Yeah, I've done that several times. A- anybody here, have you ever regretted doing that? <laughs> I definitely have regretted doing that several times. For example, uh, when we bought our house um, back, I don't know, uh, 13 years ago, I'm, I may have the year wrong, I don't know, but um, the lawn was quite sizable, and so, so we needed some lawn equipment. I, prior to that, we were living in Arlington, we had landscapers coming, it was quite brilliant. They'd pedicure the lawn, cut it themselves, blow leaves, weed whack, and it all. But when I moved out, I was left with that responsibility. And so I went out and bought some tools. And uh, when it came to the weed whacker, it was just a little too expensive. I I didn't want to spend 300 bucks for a a gas-powered weed whacker. And so what do I do? I I first land on the corded weed whacker, the one that you plug in and just like, you know, you tug that cord around and it, and I, you know, and it's okay. It works fine until you get to that one area in your lawn that it, it won't reach <laughs> and you've got no more cords. You already put like five extensions on it and it's just not getting to that, that end that you needed to get to. And, and so you all, I'll take the plunge, but you're still like, I was still at the time, like uh, apprehensive. I was not going to get that gas powered lawnmower. And so I got the battery one. Got the battery one. And I don't know if anybody's ever bought a battery tool, but those batteries don't last as long as they say they do in the commercials. Uh, And and man, that weed whacker worked great for the first uh, several months. And then I would get out there like five, 10 minutes into that, and that battery would just die down. And of course, I took the plunge and bought that gas-powered weed whacker and it has changed the game. <laughs> it is no short cords, right? Uh, no, no dead batteries. Just got to fill that tank every once in a while. And it is brilliant. You know, I, I kind of think we do that sometimes when it comes to accepting the truth of Christ. You know, we accept, or I'm sorry, the, we accept the truth that culture gives us. Um, we, we think that we can get some of the same results, you know, from what culture is peddling and, and feeding us and discipling us and influencing in it. But what we find out is it leads us to a very dead-end street. It, it certainly doesn't lead us to the place that Jesus declares in John 8, 32, to freedom. It almost seems like the truth the culture is peddling leads us to more confusion, um, uh, uh, it leads us to places that feel anything like freedom. But yet we do it. I don't know if, 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 if you're like me in that area, but I often try to 
by. I, I don't know if it's just I'm oblivious or I'm just sometimes a sucker, right? But, but I, I try just like anyone here in this room to be like, oh yeah, like even the article I read, uh, there was parts of that article, I was like, I get it. And I can see what they mean. But then when I matched it up to the real truth that the Bible peddles, I'm like, no, 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 they are so off. Man, you've got to have discernment. How many times do we try to just settle for the knock-off version of truth? We don't get the same results. It almost seems like it just leads us to more confusion, more condemnation, more anxiety. But yet the, the truth that Christ offers, it sets us free. It sets us free from those things. It, it gives us a clarity. It, it gives us a closure. It gives us a confidence. It gives us a peace. And this is the truth that Christ wants to give us as a people. A, a, a truth that when we know it, when we, when we encounter it, and more than just knowing it, like I, I understand that this is probably like an elementary sermon to most of you. You're like, yeah, I get it. I've heard that scripture 110 times. It doesn't matter what you know, friend. It matters what you do with what you know. And so, in closing, um, my question is this, where are the places you are letting culture determine and define what truth is? Are you letting Christ determine and define those things? And if you're not, why not? If you're not, why not start today? Why not make that choice to come out from among them, so to speak? And let Christ determine and define what truth is. I'm telling you, it's a whole new world when we do that. There is truly a freedom that comes. I don't want to get too much in the details because things have become so political with COVID these um, recent months. And I'm not even going to get into it. I'm sure across this beautiful church here, people's opinions are so divided on the issues. It's not my point. But you know what? There, there's a certain amount of gospel truth, New Testament truth that I've gotten in my soul that has kept me in this rather turbulent season. When everybody's trying to define what truth is, man, this gospel and all the noise and all the different clamoring and opinions and pundits, this truth here and the word of God has kept my soul steady and free from the noise that culture is peddling. And I believe God has that for all of us. Truly, I'm convinced that there is a freedom that comes by knowing what's true. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time and, and, and the opportunity to gather around your word. God, we, 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 we need something to transpire in our hearts, Lord, this morning. Uh, Father, I, I pray for those here today. Uh, I pray for a sharpened discernment, God, to discern between what is false, Lord, and, and what is true. God, what is born of the spirit and what is born of the flesh, God. Uh, I pray, Lord, for a heightened discernment, God. 
I pray, God, um, that you would um, bring even about a soberness, Lord, in our community, God, to be watchful in this area, God, uh, to, to truly um, choose Christ, Lord, uh, uh, choose Christ over culture. God, I pray, Lord, that every place where we have become a victim, Lord, to culture's lies, Lord, Pray, Lord, that you'd free us, Lord, and that we would get our nose in the book, Lord, that we would be those people that Jesus saw when he said to his disciples, they will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Father, place the truth within our hearts, Lord. Let us protect that truth, walk in that truth, and find our lives freed. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna do something in closing. The re reason um, I went kind of at a fast clip there, it's 12.30 and I don't wanna keep you guys too long, but it's appropriate, I think, that we close out with communion. Uh, so I'm gonna ask Karen to come on up and you guys, if you don't have um, a little communion, I don't know what you would call it. Cups. Cups, yeah, sure. Well, I don't know if you would necessarily qualify that as a cup, but I guess, I, I guess if maybe a shot glass yeah, or something right. like that. Um, but yeah, if you don't have one, raise your hand. Our ushers have some. We're going to close this meeting out this morning with communion. Amen. Well, during this time, remember that Jesus Christ gave his life for our sins on the cross, for our forgiveness, our redemption, and our reconciliation into a relationship with God. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we invite you to join us today as we express our faith in him. If you are not a believer, then come up after service and meet with one of us and would love to lead you to Jesus today. Uh, let's pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you. Lead me along the path of everlasting life. At the Last Supper, Jesus took the bread. He broke it and said, take it, eat it. This is my body broken for you. As often as you take it, remember me. Let's partake of the bread together. Then again on that same night, Jesus took the wine, blessed it, and said, take, drink. This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink it, remember me. Let's partake of the juice together. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for today. I thank you, Lord, that we would be forever mindful of the blood you shed on the cross and what you did for us. As we go off today, Lord, I thank you that we would be forever just mindful even of the word that was preached today, of the ultimate love sacrifice that you made on that cross that day. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Amen. Thank you, Karen. Hey, you know, whoa, a couple things. Um, I think it was, uh, I forget the name of the song. I think it was Our Father. Is that the name of the song? Our Father. Yeah. I, I felt like I should have been more obedient um, when we were singing that song, but I, I felt like um, there's just something special about that moment. I felt like uh, God might want to heal some people today. You know, as we were singing um, the part about the power and the glory. Um, I don't want to drum anything up, but let's invite the core team up. We're going to open the altar. I just feel like God has a special power available here. Um, and I, I, I don't assume to know, like, um, you know, what it is that you all need, but I, I, I am of the mind that Christ wants to meet us in a specific way. I remember.